everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for me. May you have a good time. <laughs> now, right, a little while ago, we had a guy called Cesar. And Cesar, he's got a little company. Well, it's become a bigger company called Alley Cat Games. And he did like a chocolate factory game, which was quite good and was quite wonderful. Um, and um, the person who's responsible for helping rotting the board gaming teeth is a gentleman by the name of Matthew Dunstan. And he's here to talk about Chocolate Factory. He's here to talk about being involved in various states of design and stuff like that. And he's we're here just to have a conversation potentially about saving the planet, wearing a, a green, greeny-blue wig. Yeah, any, anything is possible. Anything. Anything, as Thunderbird said, anything can happen in the next half hour. How are you, sir? You well? So buckle in. Buckle in. I'm well, I'm well. Thanks for having me on, Richard. It, it's been, uh, that's quite an introduction. Actually, I knew Cesar even before Alley Cat Games started. He used to come along to the um, to the Cambridge Playtest uh, meetup um, and... Uh, yeah, he was he was showing off his um, lab war game, lab wars game, yes, um, and we were sort of working on it. So yeah, yeah that was a that was a yeah. So it's sort of been it's been great to see him go all that way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I suppose we better say hello to everybody who's out there, and hello to everybody who's out there. The reason that we do this is quite simple. Hello, hello. Is uh, because we like speaking to people, <laughs> and we've done about two hundred and seventy of these things, <laughs> and the intention is to try and. I know you're prolific. Trying to speak, stop it. Trying to speak to as many people as possible before I get kind of stopped forever, or I just turn around and say, "I've had enough. I'm finished. I've done. I've spoken to everybody. There's nobody else worth speaking to." And the other reason it is because, as I say, Cesar was on the show to talk about Chocolate Factory a while ago, and the this young man, he was meant to be on as well, but for whatever reason, he says, "I've listened to the show." <laughs> I'm definitely not covered on. But then I kind of guilted him into coming on the show. Anyway, so he's turned up. He's under a bit of duress, but he's here to talk about himself. So it should be okay, but we never know. So there you go. <laughs> um, I... I- that I don't I don't know what really to say to that, but I, I'm quite happy to be here. Uh, I don't I I on on let the record state that I don't fully remember the reason that I didn't come on last. I'm time. not. I don't, I don't think it was for any. I don't think it was any. No. I think it was probably so. a timing thing. I think actually I had to move the time, either backwards or forwards by a certain period of time, and I think you guys were in a bit of a, a kind of a mad playtesting thing for, um, I think it was. 
potentially for Chocolate Factory, you were going through um, various different things, and um, yeah, yeah, we did we did add some new content in uh, during the campaign, which um, you know we had to kind of quickly put together. Um, so yeah, it was. It was and I can't complain time. anyway. I mean, it's not like it's not like I'm the only podcaster that's out there. I mean, I was checking today. There's literally like thousands of us now. You know. The board game podcast is something that everybody is doing, so it's not like we're kind yeah, of, quite... you know, I'm surprised there's more podcasters out there than people that are actually playing games. Who knew? But there you go. Um... Well, I'm 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 behind the behind the uh, what is that behind the eight ball because I just started a blog. I'm like you know ten years ago, so uh, or sort of restarted a a new project, but. Uh... Yeah, because everyone's in the podcast space, so I thought I'd try something different. So anyway. <laughs> I was just gonna sick of going to iTunes and just seeing the top hundred stuff is all to do with like board games and decide to do something something so slightly different kind of instead. Um one of the things we like to do is we like to find out about how people got involved in the hobby. So we can have a little look at the recipe of the past before we stare maybe at the I don't know, maybe the chocolate bar or the present, and then we look at the sore tummy of the future. So you want to tell us how you kind of got involved in the industry, in the hobby? Uh, yeah, I yeah, I was... Well, I played games when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, more traditional kind of games in Australia, and I did play sort of Settlers of Catan and things like that when I was, I, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something like that. So I had some you know, uh, some exposure to some more, more modern sort of games, but I didn't, I didn't really play a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to university in Australia, I started to play a few more board games. Um, I went along to a few clubs, um, but I think it was 2010 where I really, uh, you know, that, that year seems to be the year I sort of maybe got serious about board games being part of my life, I guess, because I, you know, joined board game geek and i started going to you know playing every week and and before long and the thing that's a bit hazy is why i decided to become a designer i don't really exactly know i think i probably just thought why not or uh you know i'd had or i'd had ideas and and thought i would sort of try them out so um, are you the type of person that that tinkers away at stuff I mean, because we had a chat beforehand. Not really, though. We had a chat beforehand, and you're a bit of a, you're a bit of a scientist. So if you got like you like a scientist with an yeah. imagination, do you like to know how kind of like things kind of work, kind of thing? I I guess that probably is true. Um, I I do often think there are very um, close parallels between scientific research and making games. Uh, I always think of games as as experiments when you make a new prototype you're sort of and when you're testing you're just you're just performing an experiment and you'll hopefully observe what happens and then use that to to gain some sort of insight to the system you're creating you know mm-hmm. and, and of course in science that system is 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 reality um that you're trying to get some insight into um so i definitely think there's parallels but i i guess may i mean maybe that's it maybe there's something about being a scientist means that you're always interested in what constitutes the whole and you and you like looking under the hood i d- i probably wasn't yeah i was probably quite mechanically motivated i would say um i wasn't you know so it, it, i think a lot of first games or first designs 
seem to fall into one or two camps. You know, someone either has something that's incredibly thematic because they've just, that's what they want to play or they have, you know, they have a favorite movie or, or book or whatever and they, they want to somehow, you know, live that experience or pay homage to it. Um, or other people, more like myself, there's something about how a game works or some yeah. mechanism. And of course, when you get on in design, there it's not it's not one or the other. But I feel like when you start out, you you have to be driven by something, you know, because you haven't sort of something has to keep you going. And whether it's that sort of tinkering or whether it's some sort of you know thematic experience, because um, all the games I made initially they weren't thematic at all. Really, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, they had something some sort of placeholder, but they weren't any great, you know, thematic romp. Um, I mean, you've been... Pre- they weren't much of a I romp mean, at all, I guess. But. but you have been kind of, like, fairly fairly pr- prolific, though. I mean, you're not the guy that's kind of, like, done kind of, like, one or two games, and then that's and then that's kind of it. Do you get kind of pleasure out of inventing systems, then? I mean, are you, are you the type of... Pe- I think so. Are you the so. type of person that says, right, okay, if we tie this in so we're moving this here so this creates this so this creates that and that's cool that's an entire game kind of thing or what I can do is I can tie three or four of these systems together and have that as a as a kind of a bigger a bigger kind of game yeah I think I think you're right actually I think there's I, d- I definitely do I mean for me I think I like when you can find one system or one mechanical novelty that somehow gives you the whole game or, or, or most of the game mm-hmm. um uh, I think there's something. I mean, the word elegance gets thrown around a lot, but when I think about design elegance, it's when one novelty serves so many different purposes. It it serves as being interactive. It serves as giving progression. It serves as um, something tactile. It serves as competition. Um, I mean, one example that comes to mind is something like from Hansa Teutonica, which is one of my favorite games. Mm. Um, you know, the way they use a cube essentially. Which I know is going to sound completely ridiculous, but the sort of the number of ways they they use that one piece uh, that that um, Andrea Sterling uses in the game to mean so many different things. It's it's something that the way that you pay to to fight your opponents, it's the way that you block them, it's the way that you show progression towards a goal. It shows some form of engine building when you remove them from your board and and improve uh, various actions. Um, they're a currency. Um, and it's all through this one one component and one system, um, which I find really the pinnacle of, of design for me in a way. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, to me, elegance is basically um, the game is the game almost plays itself and naturally does things that you kind of expect it to do and follows a certain kind of set of rules that seem almost like like natural. You know, that even, you know, if it was an animal, that would be the direction it would kind of go. So the systems, there's no point in the yeah. system kind of feels out of place. That you're kind of going, oh, I thought, I didn't think that would make, that would turn into that. I thought that would naturally double up or or use this or then I would be able to add this kind of additional resource. I think to me, you know, um, a, compl- a very, very complicated um a very very complicated game can be still be elegant because of the way everything kind of naturally kind of flows together, and you never feel you're having to double check 
the kind of the rule book. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Is that it's almost like it's a kind of a natural thing, and at the same time, I've seen other games that are very very clunky, and they don't make kind of not. It's not a case of they kind of make logical sense because you can kind of see where the system has come into place, but they don't necessarily make kind of. They're not really gamified or play, you know they've not been assessed maybe for their playability in terms of to a gamer they're kind of what they would naturally kind of expect if you know what I mean yeah no I think that's I think it's something that's with as we enter an era where people play games less and less and that you need more uh, they're sort of less forgiving and they might not play a game too many times you need to really remove those clunky things as you say those things that kind of get in the way of an experience or or are exceptions or that things that don't that don't make sense um and i think the games that succeed at that will will have the best chance of of doing doing well because people can really you know they can feel comfortable exploring something even if it's new mm -hmm. um because it, it somehow makes some sort of rational sense um a, a big one i've been kind of that i i've been for example i went to visit um Tony Boydell last weekend. Oh yeah, uh, of, of Snowdonia fame. So we're we're designing one or two things together, um, and it's interesting. We're sort of working on a. It's an interesting sort of like little sort of building game that's card driven because we both really like sort of variable power cards and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And even through that really quite early process, I think something that I've been really concerned about is trying to not have too many sort of extrinsic rules or extrinsic um, restrictions. I think there's there's a lot of games that sort of give you a lot of, they require a lot of sort of overhead space in your in your brain to for you to play them. You have to understand a lot of things to even play, to even make a move. Um, they don't, they don't arise naturally from, from the mechanics or from the, the components or the or the abilities and i think that's that's always something for me that I, I i don't like when you have to have especially even when you have to have like a rule like a reference card or something like i think that's a that's almost a sign sometimes that you've got too many there's there's too much stuff that you have to sort of put on the players that they have to understand to even start playing the game rather than having it kind of emerge as they play what's possible you know that the components should suggest what you can do rather than you have yeah. to remember what you can do with the yeah. components um, um, i mean that's not always possible i mean it, it depends on the game but it's something to think i think that's worth thinking about when you're working on stuff are you working on do you work on systems and then tie them together then do you have like do you have like um kind of brainstorming sessions where you think um of mechanics that then you can incorporate into a game because you sound kind of like, again, it's kind of going back to the analytical mind. You sound to me like the type of person to say, well, you know, if we could have this kind of card drafting thing, this would be cool if I could do this, do this. And then if I could work in some cubes to play on the cards, and then if I could have a dice thing here, then this would all marry up together and that would be cool. But what kind of theme are we going to bring in to kind of make this kind of work? Yeah, I think you've got it right on the head, actually, or at least I I have a whole notebooks and 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 things on my computer where i'll just i often will think about some it's usually not a single sometimes it's a single mechanism but sometimes it's also even just a like a round structure or something it's like what what would you do on your turn what are the choices available mm -hmm. to you what how do you 
how how can you have some system or some components that will do all this work for you in different ways and you're you're exactly right about the you know i've been uh well i really wanted to try and get back to trying to make card games sort of strategic card games um a bit like elysium because it's they're a type of game i really enjoy um and i realize i haven't really made one for for a while um and a lot of that is thinking about okay if i you know if i stack the cards like this and you know, if I have five types and maybe a type can trigger this or it could do that and, you know, there's sort of multi-use cards and things. So I guess that's probably, yeah, I think I do think about that. But I, I, the only other thing now that has really, I feel, um, with something like the success of Wingspan has sort of added a, a new a new thing to consider when I'm doing all that uh, brainstorming, and actually, it's, I think it means I leave behind a lot more idea. Like I don't go forward with ideas as um, there's like a higher bar for them because I, I think we've seen now the. I think the the bar has been raised in 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 combining mechanism with theme, uh, and really exploring, I think new spaces. Even if even if the, you know, even if neither is completely out there, but really trying to to not be content with just, you know, yet another fantasy drafting game or yet another city building game. I think I, um, I mean, that's not to say that I won't make mm. those games because I think sometimes, you know, it, it suits, it suits it. But uh, on the other hand, if you've got a mechanism, I think I'll always push to see if it can be more that it can, it can it, you know, so I, I'm also trying to collect lots of, kind of theme ideas i guess so i I, i'm currently obsessed with um flavor and food (laughs) um i'm trying to see if i can make a make a card game all about um combining food but that makes sense um scientifically um so what what are the what drives flavor in food why do certain foods go well with each other um you're trying to be like like the rat out of ratatouille then is that what you're trying to say to me Basically. Yeah, or Heston Blumenthal or something, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it's 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 quite fascinating, and in a way, it it really maps quite cleanly to a kind of set. I mean, you know, if you imagine, and what I'm really trying to work on is basically where you you know have a huge a la wingspan, you have a huge deck, all of which are different foods, mm. and on each food that has some number of icons, and those icons kind of represent flavors. And of course, you know, an icon will appear on on different cards when they share that kind of flavor and so that tells you that they they go well together and it's it's so direct but it's it's, it's exactly it's it's kind of interesting that um i mean people that's it, it it appears to be a very uh key difference between western and eastern uh cuisine is that in the west generally you want to have foods that have um similar flavor profiles so you want if if I have flavor A in in this food, I want to match it with another food which also has mm-hmm. flavor A. Whereas in Eastern uh, cultures, generally, it's the opposite. You want you don't want matching flavors in foods to be yeah. put together. You want contrast, um, which is kind of uh, which in itself is quite kind of interesting. From the same same foods, there's some sort of fundamental difference in how you approach. And I mean, it's it's still actually not particularly well understood. It's 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 still a lot of a lot of work to be done. But uh, but it is fascinating. And even the simple act of um, oh, now we didn't people are going to be like we tuned in to listen about game design, not to hear about food. But uh, 
the even the what these happens people when are just gonna have to wait meat. you know these people are just gonna have to wait anyways <laughs> smash you know i mean it's like you know there's other if you want to listen to people talk about mechanics and games there's other as we said we've already established there's tons of co- there's tons of podcasts out there well this is yeah this is going to make this one stand out about, i guess exactly anyway you're talking about cooked meat <laughs> yes well yes no, well, this is the last point, but uh, they, they, something happens called the Maillard reaction, which is what happens when meat browns or, mm-hmm. or, or cooks, basically. But I think it's something like nine or 10,000 different chemical compounds are created or released during that process. Um, it's in, and, and it's a different set of compounds depending on the meat, depending on the conditions, yeah. depending on the temperature. All of that, and that all goes into this sort of what we would say is, you know, cooked meat. You know, so if you sort of... It, it, it's sort of incredible the kind of complexity hidden in that one act of of heating meat um, in in different ways, and that's what you why you get this sort of incredible richness of of flavor across all meats and and depending on preparation. And whereas you know with vegetables you don't have that, you know there's, there's not as many flavor different flavor profiles depending on cooking. So um, yeah, fascinating. I can recommend that this book. I'm just looking at it. It's called The Flavor Matrix. If anyone's interested, check it out. I'll stick that in the show notes. If you give us the link, we'll put it into the into the show notes. I mean, going back to Wingspan, which yeah. was I should be getting so. It was a strange yeah. no. It was a strange thing because it was the it was kind of like the industry darling for a long time, and now I'm seeing a little bit of a backlash on it, or I'm seeing a, a mixture of people saying, "Oh, it, it wasn't." I don't know if they were expecting some kind of big, huge. No, look at it this way. I'll say it again. I think they imprinted their own expectations onto the game and were either absolutely delighted with the final product or disappointed. I think certain people were expecting a very, very heavy game and other people were expecting a kind of a, a kind of a, a system like they were expecting something to run along the same lines as Scythe. And that's kind of got it. And I've seen different people kind of get things out of it and I've seen kind of people kind of disappointed. Do you think, though, that with us starting to put a lot of games into the spotlight, do you think there's a danger that people will go after, designers will look to create certain designs based on popularity as opposed to based on them seeing a system that they believe is going to be kind of fun to play? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um <laughs> Yes, it is. I mean, gosh, I mean, we can't pretend that that you can't pretend that it doesn't already happen. I mean, like I do it as well. I don't. I I I'm not a. I wouldn't call myself a like an artist or something. I mean, there was something I can't remember. Eric Lang has this sort of like three um, stereotypes, not stereotypes, uh, profiles of a game designer. You're either a an artist, a rock star, or there's one other one. I can't remember the third one, unfortunately. But my point being is that. I'm, I don't think I'm driven purely by creating something because I need I must create it and I you know I, I want to express something that that is in my head and I, I just have to sort of put it out there it's it's a part of what I want to do mm-hmm. but another part is that I would like people to play it and I, and I would like people to hopefully enjoy yeah. it um, and the moment you you think about that I mean you are thinking about making something that's popular I mean on, on some level and and of course, publishers also have to think about it, unless you're sort of self-publishing the moment you sell a game to a publisher, that also then starts becoming a concern. Um, so I don't think, 
I think we'd we'd be jo- kidding ourselves if we weren't saying that most game designers, on some level, are trying to make popular games. Now they're trying to make games that they themselves also like. Hopefully, yeah. And they're not doing it uh, instead of making something they enjoy. Um, but I mean, it's so difficult to get anyone to even play your game or to even hear about it. So I think. Sure, even if there is some sort of backlash at the end, I mean, that's just because more people have heard about it. And yeah. in the end, I think you're still, you know, no bad, any, any press is good press, I think, realistically. Um, especially in this case, because I think, I mean, I haven't read everything, but I, I've played Wingspan and I quite enjoy it. It's not my absolute favorite game in the world, but it's it's very solid and I and it is in a kind of type of game I enjoy a lot. And it's it's a good game. So I think, you know, all the criticism about expectations, that's one thing, but they're certainly not criticisms about the game itself in terms of the design and and, you know, you know, is it is it a smooth experience? Is it you know, does it have all those sort of modern game design aspects? Is it you know, is it fair, is it interesting, is it uh, is it beautiful? So um I still think it's a it, in the end it's 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 still a you know, a resounding success, even if there are some loud critics but that's just because it wasn't what they wanted it to be and yeah. that's that's all. Yeah, I think it's an expectation thing. I think over the actual execution. I don't think anybody can can deny that the way the game was executed it was executed extremely well. I think that people were expect were expecting a certain game and not everybody got that game that they were kind of expecting especially but I guess is there not that sense of I it was a very very difficult game to get a hold of. And therefore, people were trying to justify to themselves that they've probably potentially tracked down the game, paid a lot of money for the game, and now they're sitting there saying, I hope I haven't just thrown X amount of money down, you know, down the drain. Um, With Chocolate Factory, okay, that the hype machine on that was going for a long time. Because I do remember Cesar speaking about it, you know, while he was even talking about, you know, other projects that he was running at the same time. Did you, because people were like looking at the art, they were looking at the mechanics and they were saying, well, this is really, this, you know, pe- people were getting excited about it. Did you feel any kind of pressure, additional pressure when... You might, I mean, you must have seen kind of like the little bit of hype and the excitement that kind of went about the game. Whenever Cesar kind of put anything up on Facebook, folk were just commenting underneath and saying, I can't wait to play this, this looks amazing. Did that put a little bit of extra additional pressure on yourself or were you at that point in your design bubble just focusing on getting everything kind of done? Um, well, to be honest, I think... Um, I I was I know I wasn't I didn't feel any pressure I mean I'm really um, pleasantly surprised by the people who support Cesar and and a lot of those people who, who comment on the posts and things that it's it's a very friendly he's built a kind of very friendly player base and community mm-hmm. around him um, and I think that's a really great feature of, of the company and it's it's really difficult to do it's really really difficult to do because there are all you know there are a lot of conflicts and you can't you know, it's hard to manage. There, there is inevitably going to be things that don't work out, or, or backers who aren't happy with a game. Or, but somehow through all that, he's, he's. I think he's, he's strode a really good line, and and you can see that in the really just positivity um, that's displayed by the people interested in the game. But I, I mean, more of the point was that I'd previously 
um, you know, I, this, it wasn't my first game that gone on Kickstarter. And I'd had the experience with Monumental, with Funforge um, the year before, um, which we, we in the first time we launched it, it uh, we had to stop the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't going to be successful. Yeah. And um, then we were eventually successful later. And to be honest, if you compare the communities and the comments um, for that project, and and similarly, they also did a lot of revealing of, of you know art and, and mechanisms and and they went you know they traveled all around France you know showing the game to people and um you know and you if you look if you read those comments some of the comments you can see why I, I had you know I had no sense of concern or, or pressure um, from the people who were interested in that because you know it it just it's kind of night and day it's not it's not a it's not a criticism I mean it's it's a small it's a small kind of minority, I'm sure, of yeah. the overall backers of Monumental. But um, you know, because of the history that Fun Forge has had with with Kickstarter, um, there are a number of people who are, you know, sort of got their pitchforks ready to go. <laughs> unfortunately, um, and that's just not the case with with Azar and Alicat. Um, much to, and to his credit, you know, it's that's not by chance that that you know, and um, he's he's run a you know he's run a lot of really great campaigns and is really good at building a community. So so no, I was I I felt quite calm actually to be honest i wasn't you know uh <laughs> wasn't even necessarily checking the project every day or anything or um but you know i was sort of i don't it, trying to believe keep that for a on. second that you weren't kind of there wasn't a little bit no of it's F5 honest action. quite honest so no no honestly there was definitely i mean you know i mean kickstarter campaigns a little bit that yeah you know it's kind of the start and the end that are the kind of big big points i think I mean, the, actually, the really nice thing was that I think that Cesar was also quite open to keep working on the game even during the Kickstarter, and that actually the community was also receptive of that mm-hmm. because sometimes you have, you know, the opposite reaction that people think, oh, the game's not finished, or why are you still working on it, or you know, blah 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 blah. But actually, you know, people strange... were sort of they were just excited. What more we could put in the game? Yeah, um, yeah, and it was great to have that opportunity, and we we you know, it's a better game for it. It's a strange situation because Kickstarter did used to be kind of like people were happier to say like we're going to be working on the rules we've got a couple of changes we might make to the art we might do something different with the components and people were like well you know this is an idea it's going to kind of evolve and uh, there's a section of kickstarter (laughs) kickstarter unfortunately which is kind of like why are you trying to change this like you said is this not finished we you know why can i not see a finished rule book why can i not have the 3d printer files to print my yeah, own version of the game kind of really, thing yeah yeah it's it's a it's a difficult i i don't i mean i haven't kind of unpacked all my thoughts about kickstarter i guess i mean it's it's it's, it's just a you know it's it's obviously a big part of the industry now and, and being someone who wants to sell games and make games and you know it's inevitably going to be part of my future but it is such a so much work goes into Kickstarter beyond just producing the game, um, and that that kind of uh, return on investment gets lower and lower and lower every year in terms of the amount of work. Not you know designers, publishers, yeah. everybody has to put into it, um, and it's yeah. I I don't. I definitely don't uh, fault anyone for finding it. It's just a really, it's just a difficult, it's just a difficult thing to do. But at the same time, you 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 know, you look at, you always look at the success, success stories, and you go, wow, you know, that was, you know, when people raised you know a million dollars or whatever, and you know, that's great, you know, for the company, hopefully, um, and the, and that's a great boon, and and it does allow games to exist 
that wouldn't have otherwise or beautiful collector's editions, you know, um, you know, I think of like Tony's Snowdonia, for yeah. example, like with NKSN, without Kickstarter, they'll never have a, a beautiful deluxe edition, which realistically is kind of what that game should have, you know, that it has, you know, this beautiful realization of, of the world and, and, and these different railways and to have them all together in one box and to make new content and that, you know, that, that I quite like that kind of these new, um, you know, because it's not, I suppose it's not preying on people, this kind of, you know, that fear of missing out or, or things like that. It's not, it's not preying so much on the hype. It's, it's seeing excellent games that you want to have a, a new life. And how do you kind of improve them? And how do you, you know, like just today or just this week, you know, Cleopatra and the Society of Architects went back, you know, like an old yeah. days of Wonder Game from um, Bruno Cavalla and Ludovic Montblanc. Um, and that's been upgraded. And, be- and, it, and it's just, I think that's a really nice, you know, from a designer point of view, it's, it's you know, that's great what's, what can be achieved and how, how far you can push the envelope with, you know, creating beautiful objects that are still excellent games. It's just the process is, increasingly taxing for all involved and i don't know if it's fully appreciated again i think this i really think it is a it is a minority i'm certainly not there's a huge majority of people who are incredibly supportive and and very understanding um and of course without them these games wouldn't get made but um it's it's hard to ignore that that vocal minority that makes it um can make it difficult sometimes i think the other thing is as well is that we're ending up with flash in the pans and kickstarter is that we're ending up with games um, that kind of are successful, are funded, get fulfilled, and then you never hear from them again. You know, there isn't that kind of that. Um, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a fear I see with the video game industry that um, there's people that are um, talking about the right to essentially pirate video games so that they've got a copy of the original game. Because otherwise, what happens with kind of like these virtual consoles, and as video game platforms kind of die out, then the games that were available on those platforms, you know, there's not an actual physical record of that game. You can't, you know, there's an, there's the, you know, there's entire swathes of games which just are lost to the annals of history and whatever because you can't play them. And the thing with board games is that are we in this situation where we? build so much on the hype machine and stuff like that and the nature of Kickstarter is there's not such a retail tale that you do get games that have a thousand copies out there and that's it (laughs) and they're fantastic games they're highlights of the genre but there's just no way to push them back to get the kind of the the kind of the next retail tale if you know what I mean yeah I mean but isn't it great that they exist at all I guess I mean it's (laughs) Yeah, it depends what you want to get out of it. I think, you know, obviously making a game is one thing and Kickstarter is great for that, but it doesn't mean that you'll be able to make a company, you know, for example, mm-hmm. that you'll be able to keep making yeah. games or keep restocking games. That's a different skill set. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's you know, I'm a, from a designer's point of view, I, I would, I'm definitely tempted that I would love to be able to be a full-time game designer. And if I were to do that, um, you know, Kickstarter would, obviously be part of that but uh it's you know you are confronted also with the reality that yes you're you're making these you know the the standard of what what is made now is so so high across the board but you also have to somehow reconcile that with all the time you put in 
but it may just again just be a thousand copies and and it and you have to kind of reconcile that with you know is that enough for you you know is that um are you are you happy with that um because for nine out of ten games you make that probably will be you know what what the reality is of it um so it's a it's an interesting you know it's an interesting thing it makes you really think about why you're doing what you're doing you know what you're trying to get out of it what what gives you joy um in the whole process um but i'm still happy to be doing it so yeah i mean i must be getting some out out of the games that you've been involved in is if you could pick a game which was say the kind of the code names of your portfolio the game that ended up kind of being seen and sold anywhere out of the stuff that you've been involved in is there any games that you would have said well you know i'd love this if this had gone kind of thermonuclear basically and spread anywhere well i think i i think i would take any any game going thermonuclear but um uh i mean i mean there's two thoughts that come to mind one is um elysium which i it I sort of can't answer it with Elysium because I mean it did do quite well mm. actually really by all standards you know it sold I think it sold about 50,000 copies probably um but we you know there's still a, a sad, sad point with that is that it was a kind of a game that you know as I said I love systems and one of the things baked into that game is is the fact that you can make more cards and more families and it was set up that you would easily be able to mix them and and create new experiences new combinations and that was sort of inherent to that and, you know, we designed a complete expansion um, of eight gods, you know, that would completely, you know, kind of explode the the variety. And, it, and it's sort of beyond, for me, it's beyond like replayability or variability because in that game, it's all about what is the specific combination of things that are available to you and, and how they combine with each other is, is meaningful and, and meaningfully different. Um, so I guess that is something I there's just a, a small regret that you know we never got to publish that expansion which i think would have really shown off something that was really deeply put in the game and that it would have really um i think been relatively unique in kind of strategy card games like this that it's really about what specific subset are you using and how does mm-hmm. that change the experience um and, and i think i guess the only other game I, that really does come to mind a little bit is a game called costa rica yes um, which was published by mayfair and lookout um and it just never really for whatever reason i think maybe there's some expectations coming from lookout um you know it you know it's got clemens friends artwork which is amazing and and you know but it's not a heavy game it's 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 really a you know a kind of a light family game um but it's just it's just a really I don't know. It's just really simple. It's just doing something just a little bit different, but you know, people have so much fun when you you see p- people playing it, and I, you still get comments about that. It's just this real surprise for some people that you can play. You know, it, that it allows you to be you know horrible to your friends if you want, or you can or you can just play very gently. And there's there's really nice interaction around the table, and again, in such a kind of relatively simple game, um, that it you felt like maybe with it, I don't know, if things had been different, it could have reached quite a wide audience because it really can be played by almost anybody the concepts are so simple um and it just creates a lot of really fun moments which i think is really important so yeah i guess those would probably be the the things that come to mind but uh but i you know of course i wish that all my designs you know lived longer and and were played more and i you know i think they they are i think if you ever feel down i go (laughs) 
maybe it seems quite sad but you go i go to you know old board game geek pages and you read through some comments and yeah um, i usually sort by rank so i i don't read the low low comments because that's not really going to help anybody <laughs> at least not going to help me yeah um, but it just reminds you you know like that you because that's the other thing once you design a game you don't really play it anymore actually in fact you stop playing it well before it's published normally um and seeing those comments reminds you that it's a thing that exists and that it's still being played now and it still is delivering something that you you can't ever know what it is because if you've created it you never will enjoy it the same way as i think somebody who's, who hasn't created it and then to read that is is really um is just really meaningful so it's uh yeah no it's nice there is still a life even if only one or two people mm-hmm. playing it's still meaningful mm-hmm. what's your plans next i mean um what 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 have you got in the kind of the fire just now? Yeah, it's that people can kind of expect to see from you. Yeah, it's um it's going to be a a good year, I think. So um I have these uh, adventure games uh, with Cosmos, so it's co-designed with Phil Walker Harding, um and they are just getting released in German now, and they'll be available in English later this year. So they're uh, sort of a homage to old point-and-click uh, adventure PC games, um. And it's all right. Okay, it's in the same format as the Exit series, also from Cosmos. So sort of that small box, about ten euros a, a game, and um, so it's quite different in that you have again, it's a cooperative experience, but it's not destructive, and it's not so much about puzzles. It's a lot more about story. Uh, you're pre- you you know essentially have locations that you're exploring, and you use a, a book to to refer to uh, to to look at what you see, and you pick up items, and once you have items, you can use them at a particular yeah. location. You see what that happens by looking up in the book, and so, I mean, the, you know, some of the things have been done before. You see, like, using items together, you know, Unlock does that, for example. But this is all yeah, really, yeah. ultimately, it's about the story that is progressing and that you're discovering and the choices that you make in that story. Um, you know, it's split into the two that are being released. You know, you play generally about three sessions of 90 minutes each. Um, so, and it's and okay. it's also about, I guess... One of the things I really wanted to make was a, a game in you know in the kind of narrative escape room kind of genre. I guess it's following along for that, but that that used that asked the players to use their brains. You know, like in a sort of re, what in reality, you know, if if I have a hammer, what can I do with a hammer? You know, what if I'm presented with all these different locations, all these different things I could use a hammer for? What makes sense? You know, it's 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 like those exactly what you were thinking in point and click adventures. Like I have this thing, what where could I use it? What makes sense? Yeah. What, what might happen? Um, and I think that hasn't that kind of complete freedom. I think is captured in this. You know, it's there really is a, a such a wealth of ways you can combine things, and 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 it rewards players for thinking, you know, logically and for thinking in character and in the, what would happen in the world, what makes sense, um, and that just reinforces a really great story. Um, so hopefully, players will agree. <laughs> um but yeah so they're just getting released now and uh if you're at the uk games expo i'll be trying to demo um some kind of early copies i'll I'll have sort of english translations of, of the german copies oh um, cool so if people people want to check it out um and at the expo also the cosmos will release the english version of roll for adventure which is a cooperative game with brett gilbert um that was released last year in essen in, in german um and it's kind of a family dice rolling cooperative game um has a really nice kind of Yahtzee-esque kind of mechanism, but it's a lot about you sort of carefully got to think about how each player's dice are managed because, you know, if you if all of your dice are trapped out on the board, then you can't do anything. So you have to kind of work together to try and not only complete complete different um, objectives, but to sort of manage 
each other's resources and, and try and get you know your 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 teammates dice back to them for their turn so they can use them more effectively and um but all within a you know relatively simple you know role and place kind of kind of mechanism so yeah so yeah. that's quite nice um i have a game called ice team uh which is a two-player game designed with bruna Cathala. Um, that's just being released in France now, and it'll it'll hit uh, the US and 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 the UK uh, later this year. So it's a um, it's a two player game based on Chinese checkers originally. Um, so it's a race where the polar bears, the very beautiful uh, polar bear miniatures. So I'm not sure if you if people are aware of Jurassic Snack, which was a Bruno Cathala game. Right. So it's the same publisher. Um, so you know they they really know how to make beautiful components, and they have these absolutely amazing. Um, you know, wooden, uh, sorry, not wooden, plastic uh, polar bear miniatures with scarves that look like they're kind of like surfing almost across these ice flows. Um, and it's a really beautiful kind of product. And it's, you know, so 20 minutes, um, you know, a bit of an abstract game, but quite, quite again, quite simple to play and, and quite variable. So that's, uh, I'm very happy with that one. Um, and then, yeah, there, all be, there will be other stuff, um, but it hasn't been announced yet. <laughs> um, so... So you know, just you know, just taking it easy then. Just you well, know, I mean, it's just you know, sitting back. You know, that's just, the case you know, with games that just producing because that just sounds like you've just going. Uh, well, I it's <laughs> tons and tons it sounds pretty tons bad, but my, but my my mother um want she she get makes me keep a Google document where I keep all the details, all the games I've signed, just so that she can check in. And actually, sometimes I kind of I have to check it. I mean, it, 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 you know, I think it's just the things are always in different stages, and you sign things, and they, you know, they take a few years to come to fruition. So, um, you know, uh, some games are much longer in the, you know, for example, Chocolate Factory was first pitched to a publisher in 2013, um, for example. So, you know, some games take a very long time to 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 come reality, whereas the adventure games, um, we had the first concept uh christmas a year and a half ago so you know that actually has been very rapid um relatively so yeah it's uh i think i you know i enjoy it i get to work with a lot of it's it's a lot easier when we when you work with good people you know you notice that i don't really make many games by myself so um you know i i get to kind of make double the number of games for the same amount of effort although i don't i don't think that's really true but it's um you know i definitely benefit from that um it's something i really enjoy so would you I mean, would you continue then if you didn't have the people around you? If, you know, people were still, you know, if they were saying like, well, there's going to be um, another Matt Dunstan game coming out, if it was just you by yourself, I take it you wouldn't do the Kickstarter stuff yourself. You would prefer to be working in a kind of a team kind of situation rather uh, than you know i've seen it because i see it more and more i've actually seen it with alley cat games kind of a lot of the stuff that they've been working in have been kind of collaborations yeah i think i i mean i would never self-publish any of my games i would always sell them to a publisher and then obviously collaborate with them mm-hmm. to, to make it and whether they want to use kickstarter or not that, that that's up to them um i think i don't know i just find the process is when i find the right people to work with it, it's just it's just easier because it, you, it also you you just widen the amount of skills that are present to sort of get a design to the finish point. It's not really about that. You, it's sort of a doubled effort necessarily. It's just that you know if you have more people working on a game, the chances are that you know you'll find the, exactly the right fix for something, or that you'll think about something, or you'll have mm. the particular skill that you need. It just 
it just kind of ensures that you finish more projects, I think. Um, and that's kind of the reason that I've been able to make so many games is that, um, you know, with these partnerships with, with other designers means that, um, yeah, you just, you just have a lot more chance to, to, to finish things. And that's, that's what you've got to do. Um, and I love, I love explore. I love, I mean, I'm really bad at it. And, and maybe some of my collaborators will be listening to this and cursing me because I haven't worked on the game that we've, we're supposed to be working on um, together. But um, I love <laughs> when I meet new designers and I, and I love the work they do. I want to, I want to work on something with them, even if I have no idea what the game is, you know, I, it, it, that for me is just, just kind of exciting, just exploring, you know, how does another person think about games? What's important to them? What excites them? Um, and you always get something different. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work as, you know, there are sort of degrees of efficiency and degrees of kind of inspiration and, and, you know, and, but I, I'm still happy with the, the results, you know, no matter how long it takes or, or, or even if sometimes a game, you know, never comes together or an idea never, never happens. Um, yeah, so that's that's a lot of fun. I love I love traveling. One of the most fun things I've been able to do a little bit is to go and visit people for you know a weekend or three or four days and and stay with them. Um, you know, I've I, I've stayed with Bruno Cathalo at his place a few times. Um, and you know, we just kind of talk and sometimes we work on designs yeah. or we just play other games or just enjoy life. You know, like he, he has a very sort of laid back approach to designing actually. Um, and you know, I go go to other people like uh, I've visited Adam Porter um, of Pococo fame um, uh, in in Wales, yeah. and I've never been to Cardiff. You know, so it's this it's this amazing you know like it's not a bad life that you get to travel to a new city, experience that, meet some new people, you know, deepen uh, friendships, and kind of get to work on something you really love that also is kind of work. You know, so it, you know it has the potential to you know that you're still you know forwarding that that part of things. So. No, that that is incredibly um, just a nice way of doing things. So, in my opinion, so, I mean, it sounds like you've got an awful lot of stuff kind of going on, and it also doesn't sound like you're going to be kind of disappearing off into the cardboard sunset, kind of any time, kind of soon. No, no, uh, no. You'll, you have to put up with me for a while yet. Um, I uh I might uh, I might be moving maybe from the UK this year but I'm already sort of thinking about how can I yeah. where I move you know how can I f- uh fit up new uh, new collaborations for example I might I probably will be moving to to Prague and I've uh, sort of been thinking oh, uh um well Wolfgang Walsh is only you know a few hours away in Vienna so maybe uh you know that's that maybe we can try and make something together Exactly uh, I've actually met him before he was he exactly. used to come to the Cambridge playtest um group for a few years. Oh right, okay. Uh, he lived in the UK. Yeah. Oh cool. Um, yeah, yeah. He's a really, he was a really nice guy. But of course, <laughs> I don't know if that it was our bad influence. But he came up with all the games that we now know in the summer immediately after he left Cambridge. So maybe I don't know whether it was you know we were sort of suffocating <laughs> him or something. Uh, but he's, he's absolutely exactly. Nice, so. yeah. You inspired you inspired me to go somewhere else. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um. Thank you very much for um my pleasure for yeah, coming my on. Pleasure. If people want to if people want to keep an eye on everything that you're gonna be up to, and I'm surprised you'll get a chance to even sleep. Um <laughs> where can we find you on the internet webs? Yeah, probably the best place is Twitter. So I'm at Wise Goldfish. 
mm. all one word uh, on Twitter. Um, that's probably where I sort of okay. keep most things up to date. Um, and I have a website which is uh, well, who knows? When somebody listens to this in a year, so it's it's matthewdunstan.com forward slash games. Um, mm. And maybe by the time some listeners listen to this in you know a year's time, it will have been updated properly um, to be a good summary of what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but currently, it's it's in a, it's a rather maybe. sorry state of affairs. Um, so if you want to have a laugh at how terrible you know my attempts were, you know, um, trying to keep that updated, then then go to that. Uh, and of course, on Board Game Geek, if you you know if you look at uh, look at my designer profile, then you'll see all the kind of games that have been announced or or are being talked about. So yeah. I'll definitely make sure we put a link to that particular beauty in the show notes then, won't we? Yes. Yes, well, that will be something to... Uh, <laughs> it's something like an archaeology... I mean, I almost don't want to get rid of it because it's. I used to um, try and make a game, a post every day of a new game design um, and I kind of got up to 70. So I didn't yeah. do too badly, but yeah, it's a, it's a, a reminder of another time. <laughs> <laughs> um. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, um, we're on kind of all different types of places, worn out faces, worn out places. You can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us on our website if you just simply search for We're Not Wizards in Google. If you want to read what we've written, go to we'renotwizards.blogspot.com. If you want to look at some frankly scary nightmare fuel videos that have got my face in them then go to youtube and search for we're not wizards tabletop podcast when you'll find us there um you'll find us in all the podcast catchers you know all the things i've got pod in them all the things i've got cast in them and spotify which has got neither of them in it at all because they just like to be contrary um if you have liked what you've listened to tonight there's a couple of things you can do tell someone else you know that's always nice uh or you can go into apple podcasts and if you um go to apple podcasts drop us a subscription drop us a rating or even drop us a review if you are going to give us a rating or a review then make sure that you please don't give us 10 stars because it just makes me big-headed but don't give us one star because um, I just get a little bit upset when people do that type of thing, and you don't want to see me cry. Um, you just it's just not some place you want to go. Um, but give us five, because it's in the it's in the middle, it's average, and we are just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful. They're rather fantastic. They're rather pr- prolific. You know, nail this man down before he designs something else, for goodness sake. It's a rather wonderful, rather fantastic Mr. Matthew. Thank Dustin. you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Richard. My, my absolute so. pleasure. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully here's to another, you know, 200x episodes and I'll come on again before you, you give it all up. <laughs> I'll I'll be in prison. In prison? Okay. No we can still podcast. Um, the... <laughs> can. I can still use my hour a week. Um, there's only two more things to do. The uh, the first thing is to remember we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Matthew? Uh, you're not wizards. We're not wizards. Okay. And you? <laughs> Don't let me down. Are you a wizard? <laughs> no, I'm. I'm certainly not a wizard. I'm afraid. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, the other thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Matthew. Say goodbye, Matthew. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Well, thanks to you, Richard. You're very, very welcome indeed. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And until the next time, goodbye. Bye. Wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Mm-hmm.